We hope you are enjoying our expanded podcast schedule. For the month of July, we have something new for our members. Each month, members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of July, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code fireworks at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code fireworks. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from Washington, D.C. We're going to take a look at the upcoming NATO summit, which is going to take place next week in Lithuania. It's a big uh, deal, and we've got some big deals with us to discuss it. We have not one, but two former U.S. ambassadors to NATO, one being General Douglas Lute, our uh, friend and frequent contributor here. How are you doing today, Doug? All is well, thank you. All is well. The other being Evo Dalder of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. How are you doing, Evo? Great. Glad to be here. Uh, well, we're glad to have you. And then, of course, we have two of our regulars uh, coming to us from, well, I don't know where Rosa Brooks is. Where are you today, Rosa I'm, I'm in a room that contains almost no furniture here in Alexandria, pending our move to uh, another house in Alexandria. Is that one going to have furniture? I certainly hope so. Yeah, well, uh, that uh, sounds like a smart plan. And then coming to us from his native land, uh, Ed Luce of the Financial Times. How are you doing, Ed? I'm, I'm happy to be in my indigenous environment um, and to be joining you on Deep State Radio. Yes, well, you know, your indigenous environment is Sussex, which is actually uh, home to some of the last known Neanderthals. Are you doing work <laughs> studying American politics by getting in touch with your Neanderthal roots? That, and also we are 15 miles, uh, well, I am 15 miles rather, from the grave of the original Biden, the English side of the Biden ancestry. He was... Uh, oh, who knew there was an original Biden? There was. Um, it was traced. This was the biggest and possibly only scoop in the history of the West Sussex Gazette. And it is <laughs> it, is, it has since been uh, corroborated um, by the Biden family. Hmm. Uh, well, that's fantastic, and I and you're the first pilgrim to go and visit it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but the Sussex American vote is not as big as the Irish American vote. I'll just leave it at that. Are you going to make some kind of offering or sacrifice a small goat at the grave site? No, I'll I'll just eat some ice cream. Very oh, good. Nice, nice touch. Very, very apropos. So, look, we've got this big summit coming up. 
And there's a bunch of things people are looking at. The Ukrainians want it to be a summit where they get some clear message about whether and how and on what terms they might uh, be able to ascend to uh, NATO membership. Uh, uh, of course, uh, they have some obstacles to that, which we'll discuss. Um, the Swedes are looking to see whether they're going to be able to elbow their way in past uh, the Turks and perhaps the Hungarians who might be blocking their membership at this moment. Uh, the Russians are looking to see uh, just what signals NATO is going to send about its common defense, and uh, particularly given recent headlines, um, uh, what NATO might do if Russia does terrible thing in Zaporizhia or anywhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, even the people of Asia are looking because uh, ties between NATO and Asian countries um, are expected to be uh, uh, further strengthened as at, the, at, this, at this big meeting. So what the first thing I want to look do is go to each one of the four of you, um, uh, as starting with Doug, and ask what it is you're looking for. What do you think the headline we're going to come out of this meeting with is, Doug? Well, David, I think this NATO summit, like every other NATO summit in now the almost 75 years of NATO history, really has only one vital outcome, and that is unity, solidarity. So avoiding issues which divide the alliance. And you, you name a pretty ambitious set of, uh, of agenda items. So Ukraine, uh, Sweden, uh, perceptions in Russia, perceptions uh, by uh, China. I, I'd add another one, uh, and that is resources. NATO will probably line out some pretty ambitious defense plans. In fact, the first defense plans, arguably since the end of the Cold War, some 30 years ago. And defense plans are expensive. Uh, and these plans in particular are reported to be quite specific in terms of assigning national responsibilities to specific parts of the, Europe, the European, European uh, terrain. And that means increased resources. So what NATO says on resources will be uh, the part that I'm watching very carefully. Excellent. What are, what are you looking for, Evo? Well, I think you you've listed all the the uh, the issues here, and just to echo Doug on the importance of maintaining NATO unity, it, it also means that some issues will not be decided uh, because there is no consensus or agreement on those uh, as yet, and, and others will be kicked down the road uh, in in ways that they have in the past. Um, the biggest one is the issue of of Ukrainian membership of NATO. Uh, NATO for fifteen years has been kicking this can down the road. It said in, in 2008, 15 years ago, almost a little over 15 years ago, uh, that uh, uh, Ukraine will become a member of NATO. Uh, and it will say that again, uh, because every summit and every meeting that uh, addresses this, that's what they say. Uh, the problem is it's never been whether Ukraine will become a member of NATO, it's when and how. Uh, and that uh, is an issue that was frankly ignored from 2008 through uh, 2022, uh, in part because the commitment in 2008 was itself a compromise uh, between those who wanted moving forward on NATO membership for Ukraine and those who, who didn't. Um, but it's no longer possible to ignore it because the reality is that at some point uh, in the not too distant future, the security of Europe depends on Ukraine being a member of NATO. Uh, Ukraine 
will have to become a member of NATO in order to uh, make sure that uh, security is restored in one form or another uh, down the line. Uh, it will have to become a member of NATO in, if only to demonstrate to the Russians that there is a limit to what they can do. But the real question is, how do you bring a country that has contested borders and is at war into an alliance that exists first and foremost to defend the territory of the country uh, that is becoming a member? And we haven't grappled with that. And kicking the can down the road, uh, as we have done for 15 years, is no longer enough. I'm afraid that they will kick the can down the road. Uh, but I would also hope that perhaps uh, some as they say in NATO parlance, tasking or some agreement on putting together a group of experts or some uh, uh, modality is found to actually look at this issue seriously. Excellent. And we're going to come back to that, I suspect, in our next round. Uh, Ed, and I have to go to you, Ed, because Rose's contract says I always ask her last on all questions. That's just part of our deal. And that he doesn't mention submarines. That's clause two of the contract. Yeah, clause two is no submarines. Um, But uh, uh, Ed, uh, what are you looking for? Like, what, what, what do you think? You know, from the perspective of analysts and the press, is 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 going to resonate from this meeting? Uh, I mean, I, I would, I would, wouldn't dare to contradict um, either Doug or Evo, um, and so I'm not going to. Um, I, I would certainly be looking for a similar kind of unity and commonality of purpose and robust robustness of signaling that we saw in Madrid last year. I think a lot of the promises that were made in Madrid have yet to be realized, um, such as uh, forward deployment, you know, um, uh, in mostly Baltic Baltic bases. Um, Germany is nowhere close, um, for example. Uh, the rise in defense spending has been modest. Um, most members of NATO are still not close to the 2% goal. I believe it's only the US, the Baltics, Poland, and Britain, as you would expect. Um, But the political mood music, the um, clarity of the message that we're with Zelensky, there is no war fatigue here. There is no um, relenting in our support for Ukraine's um, goal of restoring its original international borders is absolutely key. Um, I think um, Stoltenberg, you know, who's been a very effective Secretary General of NATO, is going to be given another year in this job. So he'll probably he'll probably be in that job uh, up to the 75th anniversary summit in Washington next year. Um, the one thing that concerns me, which both of them have touched, both Doug and Evo have touched on, is what what's the language around Ukraine's future NATO membership? Because if we say, um, look, after the war is over. Ukraine will join NATO because clearly it can't join mid-war, um, then isn't that a massive disincentive for Putin to end this war? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Perhaps we'll circle back to that. Uh, Rosa, what are you looking for? Yeah, actually, can I just comment on Ed's, Ed's last question? I, you know, that could cut either way, of course, right? It could either be a massive disincentive to end this war uh, or not, you know, or it could be, let's just time to time to pack it in time to you know we realize we realize that if we've even made that commitment the likelihood that we're only going to increase our engagement grows greater and greater he probably he should already know that but i, I don't know it's it's a, it's a good question though ed um 
So I thought I would mention something that I don't think we've touched on before, which is that uh, even though this is, of course, a NATO summit, um, NATO members are not the only people who are going to be showing up. And, and we're also going to have a number of Asian countries uh, uh, showing up, in particular Japan, South Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. And for all of our really nerdy listeners who, who like this kind of thing, I think it is important to mention that we have been referring to that group of four nations uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, uh, as the Asia-Pacific partners, the AP4 of NATO. But breaking news, they are going to be rebranding themselves as the IP4 from the AP4, the Indo-Pacific 4. And I'm going to leave it to my colleagues to explain the deep significance of this shift from Asian Pacific to Indo-Pacific. But 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 the reason that I mentioned them at all is, is simply because... Uh, uh, one of the many tensions that is kind of running through the summit um, as, as is running through international politics is uh, uh, the relationship not only between the NATO members and Russia, but the, the looming presence of China uh, uh, and how that's affecting all of, all of those states, how it's affecting the degree of attention that the U.S. and other European states give to Ukraine and Russia, uh, et cetera. And one of I, it, it seems quite clear that a big concern um, of many of our uh, Indo-Pacific, I shall, I, will, I shall now say, um, partners, uh, is that the U.S. in particular is so distracted by Russia and Ukraine that it is not focusing sufficiently on China. Uh, there are times when I think it's appropriate actually to have the opposite concern, but but that that's that's understandably from their perspective, they're a little worried about that. Um, they want to see NATO countries be a little bit more focused on them. Um, there is talk of opening a, a NATO uh, outpost uh, of some sort, um, NATO liaison office, I suppose, technically, um, in Tokyo. Um, and that's something that Stoltenberg has been championing, although France in particular is opposed to that because it does not want to piss off the Chinese. Um, so I think that's another thing to sort of watch coming out of this is how that, you know, this is very much the background dynamic. Obviously, Ukraine, it's going to be impossible for Ukraine not to be the primary topic of conversation in Vilnius. Um, but the degree to which that sort of background drama about, hey, don't forget China. What does it mean to not forget China? Does that mean that we should all be careful not to annoy them? Or does that mean that, in fact, we should be making noises to say, hey, China, uh, don't mess with us? Uh, you know, I think that that's going to be another thing to watch. Yeah, it's interesting. And if you distill all of this down, of course, essentially what we're getting at is that NATO is concerned uh, first with the crisis of the moment, Russia, and secondly, with the crisis of tomorrow, China. And NATO is trying to array itself uh, to um, reduce the likelihood of those things uh, spinning out or threatening their interests. Um, why don't we go now and I'll ask Ed pose a question for Doug and Evo, and then Rosa do the same. Uh, well, I'm going to pick up on Rosa's thread. I mean, is, is it conceivable to either of you, Evo and Doug, that NATO could actually expand to become a global organization? Um, first question, I do have a, a sort of much more specific follow-up one, um, which is what do you think it would take for Erdogan, for Turkey, to lift its block on Sweden's accession to NATO? Well, Ed, let me take a crack at that first part about NATO as a global organization. So actually, the the geographic definition of NATO is in the NATO Treaty, 1949. 
and it does not include um, geographic extension out into the Indo-Pacific. So NATO might uh, have partners like the four that um, Rosa mentioned. Uh, and by way of those partnerships, uh, those states, those, those partners gain access to NATO schools, NATO standards, um, and, and NATO doctrine and that sort of thing. But they cannot, by way of the treaty, aspire to membership. And NATO does not, uh, by way of the treaty, uh, aspire to operational responsibilities in the Indo-Pacific. So I think geographically, it's pretty well defined uh, by the treaty. Yeah, I mean, I'll add to that, although I actually once co-authored a piece in Foreign Affairs calling for a global NATO. Uh, so I'm sympathetic to the idea uh, of uh, large advanced democracies working together to deal with global threats, uh, whether those are nation state or, or, or in other ways built. I don't think NATO is the right instrument for that. Come around to that. I think we, an expansion of the G7 in a, a, and a more institutionalization of it a larger grouping of states would, would be, be helpful in that regard. I'm also increasingly skeptical that NATO really needs to focus on the Indo-Pacific or indeed on the Chinese threat that is not in Europe. I think NATO's got its hands full uh, with what's happening in the region itself. Uh, and this, this push that frankly was led by the United States, by the Biden administration to bring NATO into uh, and China as a greater focus um, seems to me uh, at, even at the time, as something uh, of a desire to look for a role uh, for NATO with the hottest issue of the day. Well, the hottest issue of the day is right next door to NATO, and that's uh, where it, it should focus. On the specific threat of, of, of Erdogan, if that you want to, uh, uh, the, the issue of Erdogan, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what it will take Erdogan, uh, but uh, he has a price. Um, that's how he does business. Uh, and we just need to figure out, uh, one, what is that price? And two, how much are we willing to pay for it? Uh, clearly, uh, a key part of the price has to do with advanced combat aircraft. Uh, he wants F-16s uh, and upgrade kits for the, his existing F-16s because we have denied him F-35s. I think he would like F-35s instead um, under congressional law that is impossible uh, for us to do because um, uh, uh, the 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 F-35 has been sanctioned as a result of uh, Turkey's decision to acquire Russian uh, SS-400s. I mean, I think the best deal is to give the SS-400s to the Ukrainians and for us to give the F-35s to the Turks and the Turks to um, uh, allow Sweden in. I don't think that's the deal that is likely to be on the table, but that'd be a good one. Uh, the, uh, the Ukrainians need air defense systems, and uh, if they can get them from uh, Russian-made, that would be even better uh, and easier to operate. But that's really where it is. It's a, it's a bargain. It's a, this, is, this is the souk, uh, and the question is how much are we willing to pay for it? Hey, Ed, let me come back to this question of NATO and China, however, and it's really not all or nothing. I mean, there are NATO interests in Chinese expansion, especially commercial expansion on the periphery of Europe itself. So if NATO is not going to the Pacific, China's coming to Europe. I mean, my view is that the destination of the famed Belt and Road Initiative is not some souk in Turkmenistan, right? It's 25% of global GDP, which is the European market. So what you see over the last decade or so is 
China buying up transportation infrastructure, uh, mass communications infrastructure. This is the famous 5G Huawei dispute, uh, energy infrastructure and so forth, initially as commercial interests, right? But with China, commercial interests today have a downstream expectation, and that is political influence. And this is the this infrastructure, dual purpose infrastructure, I, I might add, both civilian and military, right? This is uh, the challenge, the commercial challenge, political challenge of China that uh, is presented in Europe. So there is a role here for NATO and the European Union as a key NATO partner to pay attention to Chinese influence. But it doesn't really have to do with military operations uh, in the uh, Indo-Pacific. Okay, um, Rosa, question for Doug and Eva. Yeah, my question uh, is about the aborted, failed, aborted, whatever, um, effort uh, by the Wagner Group, the Wagner Group to march on Moscow uh, a week or so ago and the impact that that is likely to have on the atmospherics and and real politics at the NATO summit. Um, I mean, how, I wonder how, if at all, you think that's going to affect the conversations about Ukraine. I mean, I think we're we're all still trying to figure out, obviously, what impact Prigozhin's actions um, are going to have both on internal Russian politics right now and what impact uh, Prigozhin's sort of kind of defection and maybe the defection sort of kind of of many of his of his troops is going to have on the uh, war in Ukraine itself. Um, and I wondered if either of you could comment on that. So maybe uh, let me start off. Uh, I think there's sort of two ways to think about this. One is um, uh, I think at the summit, there will be inevitably a much greater attention to Russia and what it means for European security than it would have done beforehand because the stability of Russia is now something that, frankly, 10 days ago, nobody was talking about, but now everybody is talking about. And uh, instability in a neighboring country with a large military is something that worries people and should worry people. So the emphasis that the uh, uh, summit will place on the resource and planning question for defending NATO. Uh, has all of a sudden become even more important uh, as an issue. And I think you, there's, it's not an accident that the Germans uh, said that they would send their 4,000 troops uh, into Lithuania uh, two days after this event. Uh, it is not an accident that NATO's air policing function over the Baltics has, has now um, uh, insisted on, on having the aircraft be combat ready. Uh, it is not an accident that the seriousness with which the resource uh, and the planning is going to be uh, dis discussed at Vilnius next week uh, has gone up because of, because of that issue. So I think that's that's sort of number one, and it makes it it makes what is happening in Ukraine not secondary, but it it raises the issue of Russia and the defense of, of NATO in a way that frankly wouldn't have been there. Secondly, I think in Ukraine, I don't think that the fact that Wagner is no longer there is going to have a huge impact on the Ukrainian ability, uh, on the Russian ability to do what it is trying to do. But I defer to Doug uh, on, on sort of the military side. I do worry, and I think NATO leaders will be worried 
about what instability means for what the Russians are willing and able to do when it comes to Ukraine. And uh, I noticed with interest that there is, uh, again, the kind of renewed talk about sending clear deterrent messages to the Russians when it comes to nuclear weapons uh, and or uh, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which by all accounts has been mined by the Russians um, in order to demonstrate that um, and to, to communicate clearly that whatever the internal problem Russia has, solving it by escalating in Ukraine will come at an incredibly high cost for the Russians. Uh, and that is a message, frankly, that needs to be reiterated. Uh, whether it is by NATO or at least at the NATO summit by NATO leaders, um, uh, is uh, is really important. So I think that issue, the nuclear issue and the turns, uh, is also more important because of what happened. Doug? So Rosa, I think tactically the removal and maybe disbanding of the Wagner group um, from occupied Ukraine will have a, a, a localized tactical effect because Wagner has been for months the most active formation in the um, in the in the in the Russian uh, in the Russian structure, uh, but it won't be decisive. Um, and, and by the way, it's, it may it may have been the most active, but it was only by a couple of degrees more effective, and that's a very low bar with regard to Russian performance. So it wasn't it wasn't a game changer, uh, even when it was fully engaged uh, in and around um, Bakhmut in Ukraine. I think. More important um, from the Ukrainian perspective is that today, after the instability as displayed a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a week and a half ago by Wagner uh, inside Russia, that Russian internal instability really presents to a Russian soldier or Russian commanders fighting in Ukraine uh, a real dilemma. Uh, and in a way, um, Wagner did something that the Ukrainians have been unable to do, and that is to present to the occupying force, the Russian occupiers, uh, essentially a two-front war. Uh, to the West, they've got to worry about the Ukrainian counteroffensive, which is in its early days. And now over their shoulders uh, to the East, they have to worry about command and control, logistics, and just basic stability in their rear area, that is back home in Russia itself. Uh, and the history of successfully fighting two front wars is a pretty slim history. Um, so I think that that could have an important uh, operational effect. Uh, excellent, excellent uh, insights uh, all around. Uh, I, I, I have a question I'd like to ask all four of you, which uh, uh, really in some respects is the core question. It has to do with um, the 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 you know, sort of final stages of of, of the Ukraine conflict. Uh, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. Uh, this is the point in the podcast where we take a break. We say thanks to everybody in the public for listening. And if you have liked what you've heard and you want to hear the rest of this podcast and all the others we do, sign up, become a member. Uh, you get to hear the, the bonus content, which is about a third of each one of our podcasts. All you have to do is go to the dsrnetwork.com. Click on membership. It's five dollars a month. Uh, the numbers of our members are growing and growing. The numbers of our podcasts are growing and growing. So uh, we hope you'll do that. Um, uh, but if you're not a member, we've got to say bye bye right now. Uh, and if you are, stand by. <laughs>